Well, hey there, guys. How you doing? Welcome back to my YouTube channel. Thanks for being here and podcast. Um, the Master Your Multiverse podcast. Thank you for being here. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this whistleblower that's come forward, David Grush. Uh, the past few days, I guess we're four days AG after Grush, as people have been joking around about. Uh, but this is actually a very uh, important and serious development, at least as far as I'm concerned, because David Grush is someone from the inside of the defense and intelligence community. He's a former uh, classified briefer for the president, the guy that delivers the morning briefing every morning to the president at 5 or 6 a.m., whenever it is. And uh, he's directed the UAP task force. He worked at NASIC, the National uh, Aerospace and Space Intelligence Center. And uh, he's held other very uh, high-level intelligence positions. He has a top-secret uh, compartmentalized security clearance. What is the term? Top-secret, uh, whatever that very high top-secret classification is for people that interact directly with the President of the United States. And he's come forward to tell us that he knows about crash retrieval programs, uh, extraordinary technologies and a disinformation campaign against the American people that's been going on for some 90 odd years or something like this. I mean, we're talking even before Roswell. And the reason I think this is so important, I mean, I've encountered a lot of these types of witnesses over the years at various conferences and during presentations that I give as you know, I initially just started out getting involved in remote viewing, resonant viewing, and just in being involved in that subject put me in contact with various types of witnesses, people that had worked in the government, people that had been contractors with NASA, people that have worked for NASA, and other types of positions, uh, and other types of witnesses, obviously, too, as I've mentioned recently, and written about Bigfoot witnesses, cryptid witnesses. And this all sort of, uh, you know, kind of accumulated in my awareness over the past couple decades. And the crash retrieval story specifically is one that I've been very interested in just because I've encountered people who've either handled these recovered, perhaps extraterrestrial materials, or people who were offered jobs in the crash retrieval business within the military. And specifically there, you'll remember, um, we interviewed Gary Sterling a number of years ago, a former missile security guard from Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota, whose job it was to... Um, guard the missile silos, be in one of those security alert team trucks and drive around and make sure the silos, the missile silos were in good shape and respond to alarms and so forth. And you remember he told us he responded to an alarm once, an alarm that kept going off by one of the missile silos. 
he said Velva, North Dakota. Um, and I've checked Gary's DD214 uh, form, and he, whatever he said he did, it's listed in his discharge papers. Um, so he did do all the things that he told us about in this interview. Now, apart from seeing that blindingly bright object take off near one of the missile silos in Velva, North Dakota, you know, one of these UFO and nukes incidents, which left him and his partner burned for several weeks, a type of sunburn, which we've talked about and actually burned everything on the right side of the truck, including, he said, their M-16s. Uh, he said the entire Jeep was dismantled. Uh, to look for whatever sort of radiation did that that was coming from this object. So this is not a conventional object by any stretch of the imagination. But he also, in part two of the interview, talked about being offered uh, the opportunity to be on crash retrievals for the Air Force. And I'll put the link below in the body text uh, so you can listen to that yourself. And Gary told us that he had been told these were crashed UFOs, that the assignments would be long, perhaps up to six months in desolate locations. There would be no time for R&R &R once you were on these locations. You had to stay there continuously. You couldn't go into town at night uh, because of the security involved in such an operation. And that they only wanted people with no families because they were going to be gone for so long out there in the sticks involved in these crash recoveries. And Gary said his job would have been, he wouldn't have been one of the people. And someone did sort of uh, kind of doubt what he said, telling me a researcher, you have a researcher, you know, they don't just take security guard grunts and put them on crash retrievals. Uh, you need more specialized people than this. But Gary said he, his job, it was, he wasn't offered the uh, opportunity to be inside the craft and take it apart and take the technologies apart and so forth. It was to be a guard some distance from the site, perhaps miles away, to create diversions for the public so people did not show up there. Uh, you could imagine it would be disguising the site. It would be making it look like a logging operation or some other sort of traffic operation to divert traffic or whoever would show up there in another direction. And that totally makes sense that they would use someone like him who had a security clearance to guard nuclear missile silos that he, uh, that he would, if he was trusted to do that, he could be trusted to divert people from a crash site and make it look more like an ordinary accident or something like this. Now, once that interview was published, people uh, wrote to me and said, well, Simeon, how do you know these UFOs, quote-unquote, weren't a euphemism for some other type of crashed object? Oh, you know, reasonable point. Maybe it's the so-called broken arrow incidents where a nuclear missile has detached from an aircraft and uh, fallen off somewhere, or black budget test aircraft or something like that, and they're just calling them, quote-unquote, UFOs. So I asked Gary about this directly, <clears throat> and he said, nope. He talked to people who had come back from these crash retrievals. He said, we were talking about UFOs, really unidentified flying, had been flying objects, downed UFOs. He was very clear about that, and you can listen to this 
follow-up interview I did with him, which I'll also put in the body text below, where he said, no, no, he, he had talked to people who had been on them. They were definitely uh, uh, UFO, what we would consider to be UFOs. So Gary was one witness to this. And, you know, I've encountered these sorts of people all along the way in what I've been involved with. And more recently, I mean, I encountered somebody who was at one of the talks I gave who told me, he said, you know, I, I, I had just given one of my general talks about orbs and condensed matter, coherent matter, RV and, and dark matter and so forth and relationship to these topics. He came up to me and said, you know, uh, I know what you're talking about is true. And I said, well, how's that? He goes, because at the company I worked for, they came to our group and uh, they said to us, we have some materials, we can't figure out how they work. Can you look at them? And I asked him, I said, well, what did you guys think? Uh, or what was the talk around the water cooler about these objects, material and so forth? And he said, uh, I can't talk about it. I signed an NDA and the federal government could ruin my life if I even mentioned anything about this. I can never talk about it again. And uh, by the way, this conversation never happened. And this is really what concerns me the most is that these witnesses and people, you know, engineers, uh, scientists who've been asked to examine this material are under these very stringent NDAs which prevents us from talking about it, which effectively destroys our democratic process. Now, I get the importance of national security. My dad was at D-Day in Omaha Beach in World War II, and there was a lot of deception and disinformation before D-Day, which, you know, we could see was necessary. And uh, we understand the importance of national security because if that D-Day had gone the other way, perhaps history would have turned out very differently and uh, our country wouldn't exist as it does right now. So I totally get that. But at the same time, you have to balance it out over the decades with a First Amendment and ability to share information and educate each other and ask intelligent questions. And uh, this is what Hal Putoff brought up at his 2018 presentation in Las Vegas, Irva SSE where he said that there was a danger we would have a Sputnik moment. The Sputnik moment being when their satellite flies overhead and you don't have satellites or something analogous to that, uh, that another country would get ahead of us because they're more open about it than we are. In other words, they're admitting they have these crashed objects. Now, whether they're ET or from another part of the Earth, another civilization on Earth, it's another discussion. Uh, but if you look at what David Grush said, he suggests that their isotopic ratios are not what we can engineer on Earth. We don't know how to make those types of ratios, uh, isotopic ratio elements with either different numbers of neutrons or electrons. Now, I did speak to another engineer, as I mentioned a number of years ago, I went to a conference and I, I've talked about this, I've tweeted about it recently, this engineer from Silicon Valley who told me that when he had been asked to examine these metamaterials, which is what Hal Putoff said they were uh, at the SSE meeting in 2018, uh, that the isotopic uh, ratios within these elements 
And, you know, isotopes are slight variations on chemical elements from the periodic table with more or less neutrons than we normally find in nature. And normally there's a fixed ratio on any particular planet or any region of the galaxy. Well, this engineer told me that these isotopic ratios had to be from another part of the galaxy. Uh, because you don't, they're not, you're not found here on Earth. You could make them, but it would be extraordinarily expensive and time consuming. And they weren't even made this way we make isotopic elements if we're doing some sort of alchemical transmutation, uh, as is done sometimes for various reasons, like to convert uranium into plutonium and so forth. Uh, the, this is, uh, he said it was done by changing the number of electrons, which we don't even know how to do. Uh, on Earth, the isotopes were made with different numbers of electrons in the elements, and these were like quantum waveguides, which is what Hal put up said. So here we had a second person confirming Hal. Hal talked to us and told us he'd been involved in these programs for quite a while. He didn't tell us which programs because I'm sure he signed NDAs also. Uh, but I'm told he was in several special access programs uh, beyond OSAP. Uh, Hal was just talking about OSAP. But anyway, this engineer, when he's talking about these isotopic ratios, this is what David Crush was talking about, too. I'm thinking, holy moly, I've heard this before. And I've heard it from other people. You remember the late uh, Dr. Roger Lear who did the implant removal? I got to hear him speak many times at conferences and talk to him. And one of the people that he worked with told me that uh, right before Lear passed on, they were doing these isotopic analyses of some of these implants, and they concluded it had to be from another part of the galaxy. So either, you know, some objects are coming from another part of the galaxy and becoming meteorites and embedding little pieces of themselves in you without you realizing or someone's doing this. So the implications of this are really huge. Uh, and, uh, you know, other witnesses I've spoken to, Phil, I mentioned in Black Swan Ghosts, uh, my third book. Um, and, uh, Phil was open. He said they came to our aeronautics group and said, can you, the people who made this left, can you help us fi figure out how it works? Um, and even before Phil, I met another person whose dad had worked at Area 51, a guy named Paul, who was one of Stephen Greer's witnesses. I forget his last name, but he told me that uh, his dad had told him about reverse working with reverse engineer materials and tried to get it to work, and they couldn't. When they put it all together, it just blew up one day out at Area 51. Um, and the final story I'll relate to you is somebody I know very well within the UFO community who was also a very respected person within his own community where he lives, uh, working within local government. He told me that he, uh, and he t gave me permission to repeat this, um, if, uh, you know, just in the generality that a he saw a friend from high school he knew had joined the Marines and he said, Hey, just as a joke, have you participated in any crash retrievals? And the guy actually said, yeah, well, actually, as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, it was in the southwest of the U.S. Something had come down, and uh, we were asked to provide security for this uh, crash area. Now, I mean, this is very big and, and probably illegal. Technically, the U.S. is not supposed to be, the military is not supposed to be conducting operations within the United States itself, uh, outside of training operations, right? But this was a real operation, and this, I'll tell you how serious it is. Uh, this guy told this researcher I know 
that it was so serious that they were told they could shoot on sight anyone who even showed up remotely within their visual range of the crash site. Anyone immediately could be shot on sight. I think you'd have to agree this is really serious, right? And uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm appalled by that just like you are. Uh, this person was happy to report they didn't have to shoot anybody because it was so remote in the Southwest that they never saw anyone else out there. But uh, he, on the final day before they finished at the site, they were allowed to go up and look at the UFO and to touch the material. I forget whether they were actually allowed to go inside or just to touch it from the outside. And this guy said he felt like it was sentient, like it was sending him a message like he shouldn't be there. Very interesting. Other people have reported on this. Uh, so based on my experience talking to, I guess, at least six witnesses here, um, is this is a very serious issue. And I know that these people would like to talk about it, but almost all of them have never given their consent for me to mention their names. Uh, some have told me, as I told you just now to forget about it. So then we really have to wonder, is our system really out of whack? In other words, as Bryce Abel and Ross Goulhart have suggested in their need to know broadcast are we still living in a democratic republic or has it become a sort of a, some authoritarian system run by secret a secret regime that has put this secrecy in place for decades for whatever reasons you know to control it and that our representatives can't do their job and neither can the president and that's a very serious situation and that's why this all has to be looked into Regardless of whether you where you come down on this, if you're skeptical of it, which you, I don't blame you for being skeptical, or um, you believe Grush and the others are telling us the truth that these special access programs and Grush would have known. I mean, he had access apparently to two thousand special access programs in his position at the Pentagon. Uh, what is going on here and why are so many people, if I'm just meeting them randomly at conferences and I know they'd like to say more, what is actually going on here? We need to know because even apart from the extraterrestrial issue or what other life forms are around us, uh, we need to know is our political system still working or is it completely capitulated to some insider groups that secretly control what we have access to. That's uh, what we need to find out. So, agree or disagree, I'm always interested in your comments. I'll be following this story just like you'll be following it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Take care for now, and bye. Bye.